We are uh, in John 14 this week. We have been uh, meeting Jesus in John's gospel for almost a year now. We've been working our way through the gospel of John, uh, and we've actually made pretty good time. Um, We are in John chapter 14, and just by way of reminder, this is is Jesus' last words. This is his farewell speech to his friends uh, in less... In less than 12 hours, uh, he is going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be executed, and so um, this this dear friend of theirs that they have known for, uh, they have known and followed, that really they've given their lives to for the past three years, is leaving, and so he is giving them, uh, he's telling them what it's going to be like after he's gone, and so we're picking up. Uh, We've already seen some of the things he said uh, in John 14. We are now picking up in verse 15. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is the one who had betrayed Jesus. He had already left the meal uh, by this point, and so this is a different different Judas. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not silent, but that you speak. We thank you for your word, 
And God, now we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and to the hearing and to the preaching of your word. Lord, by its eternal truth, we ask that we would be changed, that we would be the sort of people that Jesus talks about here, that we would be the sort of people who lay claim to Jesus' precious promises, uh, whose lives are conformed to, uh, to the word, to Jesus' words. Lord, would you bless, uh, bless this time in your word for our good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first time I heard the phrase, the new normal, uh, was when we had our first child. Um, you're familiar, uh, of course, most, if not all of you, have lived long enough to know that life is punctuated with, with turning points, right? These, um, these crisis moments, crisis isn't always a, a bad thing. The, the word, the old word, crisis, basically means a point of decision or a point of turning, Right, but life is punctuated with these moments where, uh, where things take a turn and life is forever altered. Right? And so what you have to do is you have to adapt to the new way of doing things, to the new normal. Uh, and I think the first time I heard that phrase, the new normal, of course, is when we had our first child. That was a pretty major turning point for us. Um, I, I like movies. I like going to the movies. I like going to the movie theater. I like the whole experience. I like watching movie trailers. Or at least I used to like doing all that stuff. Um, I remember leaving the hospital and driving past a movie theater. I think we were going like 25 miles an hour because there's a newborn in the back seat that you don't want to kill. And so, you know, like I'm driving like my grandmother back to our house, not even willing to get on the interstate. And so I pass a movie theater and I remember looking at the movie theater and thinking, I will never get to watch a movie ever again. <laughs> and I think it was probably four or five years before we took our kids to the movies. Um, that, was, that was the new normal, right? That, uh, that what had been true of my life had now been, had now been changed, that something was going to have to be different. Um, sometimes those are good things, uh, maybe getting married, having children, getting a new job, right? All of those mean a new normal. Uh, oftentimes, though, they're not good things, right? The loss maybe of a spouse or of a parent, um, a hospital stay, um, a long hospital stay, an injury that, that mean long recovery. All of those things are, are crisis points that mean it's time for a new normal. And that's what Jesus is preparing his disciples for. Um, here's the thing with Jesus's, with, with the new normal that Jesus is getting them ready for. It's going to look initially bad. Initially, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be negative because, um, well, Jesus, they're going to they're watch Jesus die and they're going to be afraid for their own lives. And so um, Jesus is preparing them for that. But in the long run, it's going to be very good. In fact, one of the promises that we saw Jesus give them last week and give us is that things will be better. Believe it or not, things will be better after Jesus is gone. That after Jesus is no longer physically present with the disciples, they will go on to do greater work than even Jesus has been doing. Uh, but Jesus is preparing them for the new normal uh, and he does this, right? He even says in verse 29, I'm telling you this now. 
I'm telling you that these things are going to happen now so that when they do happen, you will believe. And there's really three strands that are kind of all woven together in this passage uh, that characterize what the new normal is going to look like for Jesus' friends. Uh, And all three of those strands are united by this phrase, uh, if you love me. What Jesus is about to say, and really what he's been saying in in chapter 14, really just pertains to those who love Jesus, to those who follow Jesus. Jesus is being discriminating. He's saying, all the things that I'm promising don't apply to the whole world. The time for that has come to an end. What I'm telling you now applies just to those who love Jesus, just to, as we would say, Christians. And so, here are those three strands. First, Jesus says that those who love him will keep his commands. Second, that those who love Jesus will have a helper. Uh, And then third, those who love Jesus will have peace. Uh, And we'll kind of, and again, those are all kind of tied in there together, and so we'll unpack each one of those. The first thing that Jesus says in verse 15, right out of the bat, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who love Jesus will keep his commands. He says something similar in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Uh, Again, in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then he states it negatively in verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And so Jesus is saying there's a difference between those who don't love me and those who do. And one of those main differences is that if... That for those who love me, they obey, they listen, they follow, they cherish my words. And what Jesus is saying is, love is proved by deeds. Love is proved by deeds. And that's a pretty crucial distinction. Jesus is not saying love is earned by deeds. That would counteract the very gospel that Jesus has been telling his disciples It's not that love is earned by deeds. Love is proved by deeds. But even this can create a lot of angst and worry for some, me. All right, I read that, I read verse 15 in all of its boldness, and I say, oh, well, gosh, do I I really love Jesus? Am I doing the right things? Am I doing the wrong things? Do I I love him enough? Am I, where where am I in the scale? And so if that's you, if that's... um, if that's where you are, if this verse makes you nervous because you think, oh no, I don't love Jesus enough, uh, let's talk about what Jesus is, let's unpack it a little bit. First, this is a, tra- this is a transition. This verse moves us from what we looked at last week to what we're about to look at with the Holy Spirit. Um, last week we heard Jesus promise that the lives of his disciples were going to be very fruitful that they were going to be full of greater works. Uh, And not only that, but that the energy behind those greater works was going to be prayer. That as as Jesus leads us, works through us in greater ways around the world, that Christians have access to Jesus. Christians are not left on their own. They have prayer, and they can seek the Lord in prayer. And Jesus even makes such a bold promise as to say, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And then, 
And so, so one might be prone to think, like, great, good, whatever I ask, Jesus is going to do, right? So um, I joke with, uh, is he in here, Eddie Hooper, is he in here? Um, Eddie and I will joke sometimes about prosperity preachers, uh, that, it, you know, that if you see something you like, you just go lay your hand on it and claim it and ask God for it. And so after the service today, based on Jesus' promise, I'm going to go out to uh, a certain Lexus SUV in the parking lot, and I'm going to lay my hand on it, and I'm going to ask Jesus for it. And because I ask, he's going to give it to me. That's not what Jesus means, right? And we talked about that last week. So what Jesus is saying then, following right on the heels of that, is... Not that Jesus is going to do whatever I want him to do. Actually, to counter that, Jesus says, no, if you love me, you'll follow me. Jesus is not out to be manipulated by us. Jesus is out rather for us to be conformed to him. Jesus does not conform himself to us. Those who love Jesus are conformed to him. So it's a, it's a transition when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But this is also a response. Notice what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, I will love you if you keep my commands. The position of the if is crucial in the sentence. Jesus is not saying, I will love you if you keep my commands, which is my tendency uh, when I read this. I, I tend to think Jesus will love me more if I simply do his commands. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not talking about his love for us. That's settled. Right? Uh, he's talking about our love for him. Our love for him is demonstrated by listening to him, cherishing his words, and following his words. And it's important that we say that Jesus' love always comes first. Jesus' love always comes first. It is Jesus' love that leads him to humiliate himself. Right? That's what, that's what Paul calls it. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, when he becomes a man, when he takes on flesh, he humiliates himself. It's his love that leads him to do that. Jesus' love leads him to endure temptation and to come face to face with sin. I remember the story of a of a girl who was a student at Moody Bible College in Chicago, uh, and she had started working with homeless people in Chicago, and um, she had been out and about uh, giving away food, talking about Jesus, trying to love these people the best way that she knew how to, and she um, she was out one evening and she was invited into where one of these men was staying. Uh, under a bridge, this little homemade shelter in which he slept. And um, maybe against her better judgment, she, she took him up on the invitation, right? This guy just simply wanted to kind of show her his world. And she said as soon as she entered in, she wanted to vomit. The smell, uh, the, the body odor and of urine, uh, the, the things that, were, that he had posted on the wall of his little under the bridge shelter were just were just absolutely revolting and disgusting. And and all she wanted to do was run right back out into the fresh air. And as soon as she thought that, the next thought into her mind was God speaking to her 
it meant so much more for me. This is exactly what I did times infinity, right? Uh, that Jesus entered into our nastiness. He knew a, he knew a world, uh, he, in his holiness and perfection, he came into a world that was everything against him. Right, and it was so much worse than us walking into the. I mean, think of the the vilest situation you could be in. Right, what would just gross you out? And it was that much more poignant for Jesus. Why would he do that? Because of his love. Jesus's love leads him into uh, into that into our world, and it's Jesus's love that embraces the cross. It's Jesus' love that causes him to say, that causes him to lay his life down as a sacrifice for his own. Jesus' love comes first. And you know what? That's love demonstrated by deeds. Jesus doesn't just say, I love you, good luck. He says, I love you, here I come. Right, so Jesus' love is demonstrated by deeds. And our love, our deeds, are a response to that love. Our, our love is a response to that love. As John will say in his first letter, we love because he first loved us. That's 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And so... When Jesus says, "Those, uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, it's a responding love. Jesus isn't saying, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. But he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not a, it's not a condition, it's a consequence. Those who love Jesus will uh, be conformed to his word, as we saw earlier. But it's also a dividing line. This is what's happening in verse 23. Uh, Judas asks him, Lord, now wait a second. When you come back, how come you're just going to reveal yourself to us? This is talking about when Jesus comes back from the dead. Judas is thinking uh, it will be all the more glorious, right? Remember, these are Jewish men, and so they think that the best thing that could possibly happen is for, Jewish to, is for Jesus to take the crown, for him to take the Jewish throne and to, and to bring the kingdom. And so that's what Judas is expecting. Right? You're going to die, and then you're going to come back, and your glory is going to be revealed to everybody. And so when Jesus says, I'm not revealing myself to the world, I'm revealing myself to those who love me, Judas is like, why are you going to do that? And so, and so Jesus explains right, that those who love me, uh, that I'm not going to reveal myself to the world because they don't love me. They don't keep my words. This is a dividing line. Um, those who love me will see me again, and I will be with them. I'm not revealing myself to the world because the world doesn't love me. Uh, you can tell the world doesn't love me because it doesn't keep my words, which if you think about it, really makes perfect sense. Um, can you have a friend that you never hang out with? I mean, I guess that's technically true. I have friends in different parts of the country whom I never see, but... Um, if, uh, since Cody's not here, I'll use him as an example. If I say, hey, do you know Cody King? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're good friends. Awesome. So, uh, so do you guys know Cody uh, likes to hunt? You guys go hunting together? No? No, we don't, we don't do that. Oh, okay, all right. 
Cody's an Alabama football fan, so you guys probably watch football together. No? No, we don't do that. Okay. Well, cool. So what do you guys do? When do you all hang out? We don't really hang out. Well, when do you talk to him? Uh, I've actually never spoken to Cody in my entire life. I would have reason to begin questioning your friendship, right? You said you were friends, but I'm not altogether sure since you never speak to him and you don't know him. Uh, You don't do the things that he does. And so that's what Jesus is saying. There's a dividing line that in order for someone to say they love Jesus, there is a life that follows with it. Friendship with Jesus looks a certain way. And so the love of Jesus leads his people to love him back. And that's the dividing line between the world and Jesus' followers. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments um, or words. What are... What is he talking about? There's certainly a lot to choose from. If you look at all the Gospels, Jesus' Jesus's ministry is full of teaching. Uh, and his words are simply a reflection of the Old Testament. And so, on, in the broad sense, you could say that when Jesus says, you ought to keep my commandments, or you keep my commandments, you will keep my commandments, uh, he's referring to Scripture as a whole. But if you look just in John, you'll notice that there really aren't all that many commands. There aren't that many imperatives that John's gospel talks about. It's not really what John's focus is when he introduces us to Jesus. But there are two. There are two that really rise to the surface, and they really played an important part in this last night of Jesus' life. The first one is believe. You have to believe me. That's one of the major words of Jesus that, of course, uh, believers ought to keep, and it's that we trust in Jesus. But the second one, and this is really the one that that rises to the surface most often for John. You see it in John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this is reflected in the other Gospels. When Jesus is asked which commandments are the most important, Jesus summarizes it with this. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, mind. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your heart. Yeah, heart, soul, mind, and strength. There we go. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul summarizes it this way in Galatians 5.14, that the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's adequate and accurate to say that when Jesus says, keep my words, we can summarize that in love. Love for God and love for one another. This is what it means to keep the law. This is what it means to follow Jesus. How does Jesus show his love? He gives himself away. How does Jesus show his love to the Father? He obeys, uh, he, he follows the mission. He does what he is called to do. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments... Yes, it's the whole of God's Word that we seek to be conformed to, and that's summarized most narrowly in the word love. Love for God and love for others. Now, how does that happen? Is is the way to love to focus on love? Uh, and so I'm going to try to I'm going to try to tease this out a little bit. If it makes no sense whatsoever, just drop it and and move on, tune out whatever. Um, 
if I want if I want a good if I want a good marriage, what's the best way for me to improve my marriage? Is it for me to is it for me to say is it for me to look at my marriage and go, I need a good marriage, I need a good marriage, I need a good marriage, I need a good marriage. Right? Is that is that how is that is that what's gonna make for a happy home? No, I'm really kind of missing the boat. Right? If I want to love my wife well and do and do what makes her happy, well, I need to know my wife. I need to listen to my wife. Uh, if I want to improve my marriage, focusing on the marriage isn't the issue. Focusing on my wife is. Because the more that I love and the, the more that I focus on and adore my wife, the more I will love her. And so the way um, the way that we see our love for Jesus increase and our desire to follow Him in, increase is not to say, "I got to obey, I got to obey, I got to obey, I got to obey." I mean, you give that give that a shot. You're welcome to try. Okay. Um, I would encourage you instead to actually focus on the Lord Jesus, right? To lift your eyes up to Him, to focus on who God is and what He's done, right? Um, that's actually the way that the Apostle Paul instructs us to do in every single one of his letters. Paul's letters always begin with what God has done and then flow out of that into what we are called to do. And so, um, let's see if I can give a concrete example. Let's assume my wife is allergic to flowers. She's not. Let's assume she is. You would think she is, because I never get any for her, but she's not. Um, but I say, you know what? It is my duty, because I want a good marriage to give my wife flowers. My wife will not be happy with my duty. All right, that is, that is, the, wrong, that is, the, that is the wrong direction. All right, I, I, in that, if I'm doing that, I will not be a good husband. I will be a bad husband. Right? The problem is that I'm focusing on what I think my duty is, or maybe I'm taking, I'm taking cues from what other people do for their wives. Like, oh, okay, well, Jay's wife is not allergic to flowers, so I need to get my wife flowers. That will not, that will not work. Right? Know the object of your affection. Seek to fall increasingly in love with the object of your affection, and your life will be conformed. Do you notice that that's what... It's really a promise. It's not an imperative. Jesus isn't saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a promise. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the more that you fall in love with Jesus, the more your life will be conformed to Jesus. The more your mind will be renewed. The more your heart will be renewed and that's a tall order. That's difficult. That's really impossible. Um, it's hard for me. And it, oddly enough, the more that I fall in love with God, the more I love Jesus, the more I will love other people. And so it works in reverse. That if I don't really love other people, I ought to be asking the question of whether or not I really love God. If I don't take delight in God's Word, do I really delight in God Himself since His Word is, a, is an expression of His character? And you know what? Some people, some people are naturally nice, loving people. I am not that person, right? Um, 
And so that's a really tall order for me. Some people really do love others well. I don't. And so I love the fact that Jesus keeps going. He doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Peace. Right? But he actually keeps going. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So not only is he saying, you will keep my commandments, but he's saying also, and you're going to have help because you need it. Kevin needs help. Helper. Um, Your Bibles may say counselor, comforter, advocate. They all translate. uh, It's all aiming to translate this one word uh, in the Greek, and I don't usually say Greek words, but this one's an important one because we don't have an English word for it, and the word is paraclete. Think, I got a paraclete, and they help me run in the grass, right? Paraclete, all right? We don't have a word for that in the English language, and what it, what it means is one who is called alongside, one who comes alongside. And so um, you can imagine if you're struggling with something, you, you enjoy somebody coming alongside and, and grabbing your arm and pulling you through it. That is, that is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper, one who is called alongside. And so that's why helper is probably the best word. He is a comforter. He is an advocate. But all of those things come underneath that word helper. And what's he going to do? First, Jesus says he's another helper. Another, right? Jesus himself has been their helper. But he's leaving. And so Jesus says, since, since your first helper is leaving, going back up to, to really help you from heaven, I'm sending you another one. You're going to have somebody else. And that's important, somebody. Not an it, a person. I'm sending you another helper. Someone like me, but different. Someone like me, but different. I have been your helper, but I'm leaving. My ministry with you is temporary. I'm sending you someone else to be with you forever. Who? Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. And we also learn in verse 26 that this helper's name is the Holy Spirit. And so right here, if if you ever want to convince someone of the doctrine of the Trinity, the Christian doctrine that there is one God in three persons, all you need is John's gospel. Up until this point... Jesus and the Father have been the two persons that have been regularly in front of us. Now we see that there's a third. And actually, they've been there all along. Because when Jesus, at the, at the beginning of time, Genesis 1, what's present? You have the Spirit, and you have the Word. In John 1, who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. And so all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were there at the very beginning, speaking and creating. And here... We have all three persons of the Trinity, all three persons, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What will he do? That's who he is. What will he do? Verse 26 and 27. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so the Spirit's ministry is to point people back To Jesus. That's how he helps. He reminds disciples, he reminds followers of what Jesus has said. 
He helps by coming alongside and pointing people back to Jesus. The Spirit's work is not to lead people into new truth, right? There's not new revelation, something better than Jesus coming down the pike. No, the Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. Who gets him? Who receives this spirit of truth? Jesus says, not the world. The world cannot receive the spirit because the world doesn't see him or know him. The world is not interested. The world is, the world is blind. The world cannot see the truth and so it cannot receive the spirit of truth. But the Spirit will be in all of Jesus' disciples. And so if you come out of a background where maybe you've heard somebody uh, talk about a second baptism where only a select group of Christians get the Holy Spirit, you go to this verse right here. Jesus promises the Spirit to all. All receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is in all who love Jesus. So the Spirit is another is the helper for all who love Jesus because all who love Jesus need the help, right? Um, We need someone to come alongside of us and walk with us. We'll say more about the Holy Spirit as we go through this last night of Jesus' life. It's not the last time the Holy Spirit comes up. Uh, And we'll have to leave peace for next week because we are out of time. So just remember, uh, I want to point you back to a phrase uh, that Jesus says in verse 18. And it really characterizes this whole farewell speech. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you. Right? An orphan in the ancient world was in pretty rough shape. Either, he, either his parents had died or they had abandoned him, but he had nothing. And his life was going to be miserable as a result. Jesus says, that's not you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in the meantime, you have the Spirit. And so, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. Again, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you love us. And because of your love for us, we can follow you in love. We can do as you command. Uh, because it delights you. And ultimately, Lord, really, Lord, it, because it delights us as well. We delight to delight you. And so, God, would you give us, uh, would you give us hearts of delight in you? Help us to focus our affections on you and to be transformed, uh, transform our affections to the things that uh, are passing away, to the things that are eternal. And as we seek to do that, Holy Spirit, we need your help. Uh, We cannot do it on our own. We need the helper. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would experience increasingly your ministry, your presence with us, your help in leading us into all truth and reminding us of what Jesus has spoken. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.